All right, let me pray. Holy Spirit, fill your temples now. Let there be an aroma. We want to encounter you. We want you to come and make base in us. Make your residence in us. I pray for my words and their ears. Let them both work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I submit to you. I want to fade into the background as we come into the presence of your majesty. We want to savor you. We want to be ravished by your love. You're the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, and you are so good. We love your name, Jesus. We love your name. Come, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've, I've got a lot to cover. This is potentially a uh, challenging sermon. A lot of people don't uh, preach on this text because it could be, it's easily misunderstood. So I recognize that there's a couple different ways we could fall off the horse. So I will try to keep from falling off either way. Uh, the text is 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 23. I'm just going to read it and put a little kind of a Justin spin on I'll give just a very brief, this is what's happening here as I read it. All right. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only, only God who gives the growth. Essentially, Paul's saying, we're nothing special here. We're, we're not the, the big cheese. God is the one doing the things, and he makes the growth. So he says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So him and Apollos, the, the, the laborers are unified. Each will receive his reward not not equitable. So God makes the growth, and then he rewards us for our part in it. The laborers are the same. The value of the labor is not. Moving right along. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. All comes back to God there. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. So the day of judgment will show everyone the value of the work. Some will be lasting, some will perish. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, 
he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul's not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about the sinner's judgment. (laughs) And Ted, I mean, it's perfect, bro. (laughs) Like, singed, but unharmed. Mm. What a sweetness of God to give you that on this side of the judgment. What a mercy for him to say, hey, you're gonna be called to account. Change it now. (laughs) What a mercy. So Paul continues, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay, so it looks like Paul's making a shift here, talking about building and building and building, and then he says, you are God's temple. So it seems to me like the the things that we are building are temples, a dwelling place for the presence of the Almighty God. Now, in Old Testament ancient Judaism, there was one temple, a bunch of synagogues where people would meet together, but there was only one temple, there was only one place, only one guy could go in once a year because that's where the presence of God lived. There was no indwelling spirit that we have until Jesus came, tore the veil, and the spirit rushed out to be with the, the Father rushed out to be with his children that he destined for himself. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Yikes. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Man, that's a whole sermon right there. All things are yours. (laughs) Can that really mean that all things are ours? Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. All right, so before, before we get into any of this, let me just agree with you. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. That's not what this text is saying. That's silly. Jesus did the work. Jesus gets the reward. Jesus also does some work through us, and he lets us have that reward too. But they're different, different judgments. So there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God except depend on Christ. Look to him, and he says, I got this. You're in. You're with me. So perhaps this is one of the reasons that this topic is often underemphasized is because it's kind of weird and difficult to understand. But if you know anything about this house, you know it's basically a rule to to start with a C.S. Lewis quote. I was going to make a Tim Keller joke to Taylor too, but I think he's going to hit me if I do. So, All right, from mere Christianity, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this. 
So my aim today is to give you a new value system. <laughs> I know that's a sizable order. So perhaps uh, the Holy Spirit will do his work. And maybe I'll get a reward for it. Uh, so, so we're going to talk about eternal rewards in the kingdom of God. And there are two, off, two expected responses in that. Number one could be, oh, I shouldn't be motivated by rewards. <laughs> I, I love Jesus and that's reward enough. If you're honest, we don't really do anything that way. We are totally motivated. I mean, you go to work because you enjoy it. Only. I mean, I enjoy my work. Taylor probably enjoys his work most of the time. <laughs> but uh, it's okay to be motivated by rewards. Who said that that's wrong? I, has that been in y'all's head before? Oh, no, I don't want to be motivated by rewards. Okay, well, maybe it's just me. And number two, our salvation is not merited by our actions. Yes, I agree. I'm not saying that. Paul is not saying that. So I'm going to, uh, to just fly over a couple verses in the Bible that mention rewards and crowns. Just so you know that I'm not twisting this scripture. Scripture should be interpreted in light of itself. So 1 Corinthians 9, same book, same letter. Chapter 9, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold, that's a hundred times that they lost, and will inherit eternal life. That's high reward for risking the temporal for eternal. 2 John 1, 8 Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So he says, watch yourself so you make sure, make sure you win a full reward. If there's a possibility of a full reward, that really sounds like there's a possibility of a not full reward. Uh-oh. 2 Corinthians 5.8, and this is where it gets really good. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So now this is kind of a weird verse because Paul is saying only to the believers that there will be a judgment. Because those of those of us that are not in Christ, when they are absent from the body, when they die, they are not immediately present with the Lord. So he's only talking to believers. And there is still a judgment or a decision to be made based on the value of our labor. So, so a lot of people say, no, we won't be judged. Jesus took our judgment. We won't have to deal with that. Yes, Jesus did take our judgment. But this is not the same kind of decision that is being rendered. He has justified us. He makes us clean. And yes, we still have to answer for how we stewarded what he gave us. So this essentially is a how well did you steward kind of judgment. 
Next week, Taylor's preaching on chapter four and verse five says, don't make any judgments because Jesus will return and reveal our motives and then give whatever praise is due. Hold on a second, Paul. Jesus reveals our motives and then he gives us praise or commendation, honor. Sorry guys, that's what the scripture says. Some of us will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But at the sinner's judgment, ain't nobody gonna be getting any praise except Jesus. Are we all clear now? Okay, I've said it about 50 different ways. All of this to say, the way we use this blip of time, this moment, the way we invest our years on earth will determine the way we spend eternity. And the judgment about our investments are eternal decisions. So yes, what we do with the cross determines where we spend eternity. How we live our lives as believers determines the way we spend eternity. So a couple of verses to show you that our, our life is a blip. James 4 says life is a vapor. The psalmist says we are a mist. We're like grass, flowers that fade the next day. And if you think about eternity and compare it to even the longest life here on earth, comparatively, it's zero. Any number compared to infinity is essentially nothing, right? So we have a moment to invest, to steward our lives well. And that has an eternal reward for us. Imagine if someone, if I told you that the way you spend your lunch today is going to determine your next 10,000 years. I mean, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Essentially, it's the same thing. I mean, you will probably treat your waiter a little bit differently. You may leave a bigger tip because you can't take it with you. You will be more patient with your children because this is a moment and it will not last. If you are living for eternity and you know that you only have a moment to make an impact here, then all risk becomes nothing. If you live in light of eternity, all risk becomes nothing. There's nothing you can do that's too risky, nothing you can do that's too costly. Nothing you can do that's too radical in obedience to the King of Kings. If you have an accurate perspective of the brevity of life and the longevity of eternity. Anybody need a pen to write that down? I didn't make that up. So you can build for the eternal or you can build for the temporal. And fire will reveal the work. At verse 13, it says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. Thanks, Ted. 
Okay, now let me pause here. I recognize that this could be a little terrifying for you, um, talking about the moment we have that determines a lot about our eternity. I I could see how you could be feeling like you're about to fall off of a cliff here. Um, don't don't go dark side right now. If 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 the enemy is saying you've failed, you've missed it, you've wasted your life, I'm not saying that. Jesus is not saying that. He's doing the same thing he did to Ted. He said, "Hey, wake up! Now's the time. You still have a chance to make a difference. You still have the chance to win a prize. Don't go dark side." Don't make any agreements with the accuser of the the lack of value in your work. Just say, okay, now it's time to change. None of you have died in the sermon, so you still have an opportunity. Everybody thumbs up. Okay, yeah, we're good. (laughs) So congratulations on your brand new way of living. The value of the work will be measured, and it will be measured by its longevity. Not all of our efforts have an equal value. Not all of our rewards will be equal. Now, does that mean that we should all quit our jobs and be pastors? That's redonkulous. No, of course not. Does it mean that everyone should be involved in a certain specific ministry? If you're listening to the Lord and he tells you to be involved in a certain specific ministry, do that. That would not be good if you heard God's voice and then disobeyed. Let me answer it this way. The kingdom of God is destined to dominate the entire world. A little bit of leaven in the dough gets all up in it. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is coming to dominate all Things And we get the privilege to be part of that. There's no pressure on you to do this because God does the work. You ain't nothing. I ain't nothing. Taylor ain't nothing. God does the work. But we get to be part of world domination. <laughs> so good. Man, yikes. Oh. And the way we win the world, the way we bring that world domination of the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of this world, the way we do that, saturation. We saturate every aspect of the culture with the presence of the almighty God. You carry, if Jesus is your king, then you carry the presence of almighty God. There's no longer just one temple. There's a whole bunch of them walking around. The presence of the almighty God indwelling you, and when you go to your house, the kingdom is there. When you go to work, the kingdom of God is there. When you go to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, the kingdom of God, is, well, Chick-fil-A probably already has the kingdom of God. <laughs> look, look at Taylor. Taylor has, so I'm still answering the question, should we all be a pastor? He has access to you, his family, his neighbors, and maybe the, the folks that he works with like when he's getting food. So not a ton of people that you have access to. He has access to you, but you have access to your family and your coworkers 
and your people, your third people, your neighbors, that is the way God has designed things. Taylor, Paul, they're here to build you up, light a fire under you, and then kick you out the door, and you go do the same thing. It doesn't have to be weird. I know that could be a little intimidating to tell you, let's go dominate the world. I know, I know that could be a little off-putting. But I'll, I'll go into it in a little bit, and you're actually going to see, wow, there's so fewer burdens on me if I just depend on God. So Taylor and Paul are here to, here to build you up so you can get into those hard-to-reach places with the face-melting love of God. Your coworkers need the Jesus that you carry. Steward that well. Now, some of you don't have any mind to leave an internal impact Some of you just want to be liked, and so you're not willing to take a risk because it might make you look a little weird, or it might hurt your job. You are holding on to things that do not last. Stop it. Some of you have a really good, solid job, a nice house, a pretty car, a good retirement plan, so you don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. You'd rather be liked than be a little weird. You obviously know that I don't care about that. Justin the weirdo. You don't have to be super weird with people and in your face and aggressive. I I don't think you should, actually. But when you start living with a different value system, that is going to be strange. When you're not living for the next phone or the better house, when you take less hours so you can spend more time with your kids, why would you do that? But that's, you're not bound to the same things that hold me. Why, why are you so weird? You'll get those kind of questions and God will give you the answer. It's weird to live with a totally different value system and to be untethered to the things that the world lives for. But we will be called to account for the way we used what we were given. Okay, so now you're thinking I've made you properly uncomfortable. How do we apply that? This is my favorite bit. If I ever, if Taylor or I ever finish a sermon, there's no application, don't even get up at the end. Be like, how do we do that? How do we use this? So the question is, how now shall we live? I wish I could tell you. I can't. This has to be something that you hear from the Lord. The best way to steward your life is something you receive from him. I know you're rolling your eyes. Justin, you always talk about hearing God's voice. Yep, I'm a, that's, my, that's my one drum. I got nothing else. And the Holy Spirit says things that always align with scripture. Ted didn't even know that was a scripture. So good. You can trust the the voice. That's not even my sermon. Get get back, okay, back to the text, back to my things I've written. Uh, So I'm, uh, Justin, you always talk about hearing God's voice, weirdo. Yes, I'll tell you a little bit. We'll, We'll fly over some themes 
on how to steward, how to apply stewarding your life well. But essentially, it can only be done by walking with the Lord, listening to him, and then submitting. So let me paint a picture of how to get that well done, good and faithful servant. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, start valuing things differently. When you see that your priorities are shifting, you know that you're headed in the right direction. When you're tired after a long day at work and you see your neighbors playing with their kids out in the yard, instead of putting your feet up and just vegging out, go outside and connect with them. No, you don't have to go give them a tract. You don't have to go, hey, have you guys heard about Jesus? You don't have to do that, but you have to connect with them. Earn the right to speak to them about deep theological things. With no relationship, you haven't earned the right to do that. That's offensive. Sometimes God can give you that. Sometimes God can say, hey, I need you to go be offensive right now. But only do that if Jesus tells you to do that. If you think, oh, I'm going to do this, that's, that's actually going to blow things up. Don't, don't do that. Earn the right to have those conversations. So start valuing things differently. You need to value, you need to start valuing some things as absolutely and totally inconsequential. And you need to start valuing some things as absolutely and totally consequential. Some things have no eternal significance. Some things have absolute eternal significance. Things that don't matter, you can, you can imagine. Material things, entertainment, other people's opinions, even your safety. That's an American value. If you value your safety over obedience, that is not a kingdom value. I know that's a hard one. I know that's a hard one. I, uh, I've wrestled with that one. And God kept us. Praise his name. Uh, your comfort. Ooh, that's another one. If you value your comfort over obedience, you are living for things that will melt. Lord, would you just take those things out of our hands? Pry our fingers open so we can let go of the things that are dragging us down. Those things are of no eternal significance. Here are some things that do have eternal, eternal and lasting significance. The way you discipline your children. The way you disciple your children. Because you're not just trying to behavior modify. You're trying to raise up people that will bring the gospel to their elementary school. You're trying to raise up, I'm trying to raise up three little boys that leave three trails of well-loved people. Josiah, the king who's he's ready to reign. <laughs> he talks about it a lot. He was named after a king. Samuel, the other day he's like, I'm the prophet. <laughs> and then he talked about, he's like, I had a dream. Jesus gave me a fire lightsaber and I destroyed the dragon. I was like, bro, you sound, you sound like a prophet. <laughs> the way you disciple your children 
has eternal significance. The way you love your neighbors, the way you are generous, the way you represent Christ to your coworkers and bosses, and the way that you obey the Holy Spirit to take a risk that he has told you to take. Whether that is something small like moving overseas or big like taking a different job to spend more time with your kids or volunteering at the English language school or offering to pray for your waiter. If you value people, you will treat them differently. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. I just had to sneak another C.S. Lewis thing in there. Number two, leverage the gifts. Mm, mm, mm. So this, is, this would usually constitute a risk. When you see someone in crisis mode or someone depressed or someone needs a miracle, recognize that you're not in this alone and there's no weight on your shoulders to make anything happen. Sometimes there are situations we just can't change. Sometimes those are the perfect opportunities to bring hurting people into your world and then into the present. Often that's risky. <laughs> but if they're coming into your world and you're saying, hey, I know the creator of the universe, we're on a first name basis. Can, can, he, uh, can, can I invite him into this brokenness right here? A lot of openness in that moment. So this is important because if you're trying to leave a legacy and an impact, if you're working for a reward, but you're doing it on your own strength, good luck. It ain't gonna happen. Lord, set us free from our self-sufficiency. We are far too independent. If we're dependent on God, we'll raise the stakes a little bit. Last Sunday, we, one of the new people that we met uh, mentioned that she had asthma. And I was like, okay, well, sit in the mush pot. Can we lay hands on you and pray for you? She's a, she's a Christian. So like it was a bunch of Christians that no one was weirded out by that. So we prayed for her. And then she emailed me a couple days later and said, I'm totally healed. That should be normative. It was a risk. Not a big risk for me. I don't, I mean, if, if I tried it and it didn't work, she still feels loved. It's not on me to heal her. I didn't heal her. But Jesus did, and she, she got to play with a dog. That pet dander was always messed her up really bad. And that night she went and hung out with friends and they had a dog and she was like, it was the first time she got to play with a dog in a long time. Uh, <clears throat> she felt loved. So I think you need to start raising your level of expectations for how God will work through you if you ask. Jesus said, you don't have because you don't ask. How many times have you heard the Holy Spirit say, I should pray for this person? And you're like, no, what if it doesn't happen? What if my pride gets hurt? What if, what, if she doesn't get, what if he doesn't get healed? You are valuing your people's opinion over you, over a possible encounter with God. 
Set us free, Lord. Other gifts. Hospitality. That's a huge one. Hugely undervalued. That's a spiritual gift. Bringing people into your home. Mm, so powerful. Especially in our individualistic culture. Encouragement. That's like the most motivating thing in the world. When Taylor comes up to me and he's like, bro, you're crying the other day? Because that's usually what he's talking about. Like, that's so motivating for me. It's not about that. Service. First shall be last. Last will be first. That's huge. Intercession. If you're not leveraging the gift of intercession, you're missing out. You're not plugged into the, the socket. History belongs to the intercessors. Administration. Man, we're going to need that gift on staff soon. Wisdom is another one. My wife, Meryl, has the gift of wisdom, and I've told her for years. And she always like, no, I don't think so. She doesn't talk like that. Sorry, babe. (laughs) (laughs) But then two ladies in the same day, like, approached her and said, man, I really think you have the gift of wisdom. And she goes, okay, maybe. Operate in the giftings that God has given you. Specifically, you. You were made in a unique way at a certain place for a certain time. So be comfortable being who you are. I want you to to let Jesus speak to you and make you who you fully are. I want you to be fully alive, fully comfortable in exactly the way that God has made you. Because he has designed you in a way that is best for you to make the impact he wants you to make. We are not all given the same gifts. So don't try to operate out of Taylor's gifts. Those are his. The world has enough Justin Elders. The world has enough Taylors. We don't need any more. We need more Ted's. No, wait, there's enough Ted's. We need you to be who you were created to be. Okay, moving on. Number three, listen and obey. This is so much easier than you think. It's also a lot harder. So to listen to God, you basically just say, hey, God, would you speak to me? And then he does. The obedience part is actually really difficult. Like, Ted got a number, and it hurt. (laughs) Like, it's uncomfortable. When God gives us things, we have to steward those words with obedience. Oh, man, I was with some Muslim friends uh, a while back, and I was telling them the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And this is like one in the morning, and so my friend, he's starting to fall asleep. It's late. I get it. So I'm like, oh, man, maybe I'll just, like, wrap it up and then go home. And I hear Jesus kind of like, hey, Justin, show him. And I'm like, What? I hear, show him. I'm like, you show him. <laughs> do it. I'm like, please, Lord, don't make me do this. Like, there's, this is so culturally inappropriate. They take their shoes off, leave them at the door because it's like 
honor and shame, clean and dirty stuff. Don't make me touch his feet. They even don't sit like this. This is super shameful to show you all the sole of my foot. I know all this stuff. I'm like, please don't make me touch his feet. I also kind of have a foot thing. So I hear, I say, please don't make me do it. You know, you've probably heard the voice of God if you say, please, no, I don't want to do this. So I did it. And it was bonkers. If I have time at the end, I'll tell you how it went. Um, that's a hook. I know, what a dirty hook. That's a trick. You're going to stay awake now. Uh, you may think obedience is costly, but obedience always brings a blessing. It may be costly in the short run. It may be costly in the things that are perishing. It always brings a blessing. Mm. Mm. Another way to say this, listen and obey, is abide. I want to spend years in John 15, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, if I'm the vine, you're the branches, if you stay connected to me, I will give you fruit. And he says, I no longer call you slaves, now I call you friends, and I'll tell you everything I see my Father in heaven doing. That's cheat codes for life, baby. You want, <laughs> sorry, if, if you want an eternal impact, stay connected to Jesus. If you are abiding in Christ, listening and obeying, as you do real estate, you'll have an impact. If you stay connected to Jesus, then as you, every, everything you do could be abiding. It could be worshipful. It could have substance to it. So substance that would pass through the fire. You could even worship Jesus and abide while you're changing diapers. That, that could bring you an eternal reward. For the one who lives unto the Lord, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. Okay, number four, the last is very simple. Love. If you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, follow the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you will do well. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. I could give away all that I have and even sacrifice my body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Matthew 25 talks about the king of glory sitting on his glorious throne and calling the nations to himself. And he says to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundations of the world. I was hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and in prison. And you took care of me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we do these things for you? We never even saw you sick or in prison. And Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, you've done it for me. Our inheritance has something to do with how we treat the last, the least, and the lost. 
it seems that our reward is based on how well we loved people. Now, sometimes love looks vastly different in certain contexts. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is use your gift of hospitality. Sometimes love looks like cleaning the house for your wife. Sometimes it looks like taking a risk to pray for someone. Sometimes it looks like giving past the point of pain. And sometimes love, it's the most loving thing to do to get in someone's face and shake them and say, your decisions are leading you to death and destruction. He'll tell you when to do that. Sometimes love just looks like sitting with someone and not saying a word. Just listening. But if you are primarily motivated by love, then you are guaranteed to build in a way that survives the fire. I want my life to impact the world. I mean, I don't need a book deal or anything like that. I want, as I said earlier, I want to leave a very long trail of people that have been well-loved and encountered God. Only one life, it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you don't know the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, you should check it out. There's a movie about it. It's called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. There's a bunch of books. So these families went down to Ecuador to bring the gospel to some tribes that had killed every outsider they'd ever met. They speared them. And uh, so the men of these families made contact with the tribe, and then the tribe killed them. Four young wives lost their husbands, and nine children lost their fathers. Elizabeth Elliot, one of those wives, wrote, the world called it a nightmare of tragedy. But the world did not recognize the truth of Jim Elliot's creed. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. After this, Elizabeth and her kids went back, moved in with the tribe, forgave them, loved them, brought the gospel to them. I want to be there when Jesus says to her and him, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's a party right there. One more quick, quick thought. So you've, you've heard about the parable of the talents um, in the Matthew version of the gospel. Maybe you've heard of the parable of the minas. A mina was a three-month uh, salary essentially. So a king or a nobleman goes to receive a kingdom. He gives three months salary to a bunch of servants. And he says, invest how you like. I'll be back in a bit. So when he returns, he calls his servants in and he says, okay, how'd, how'd the investment go? And the servant returned to the king and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. You gave me three months wages. I invested well. Now I have a return for you. And he says, well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a small manner, take charge of 10 cities. This dude got 10 cities. 
I want 10 cities. I want a crown. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I will leverage every single thing I can in this life to get the reward. Liquidate everything. I found a really good investment. I don't want to miss out on the treasure that will last into the ages. It's either that or dust. I don't want to present to Jesus trivialities. Lord, you gave me 80 years and here's my seashell collection. Okay, so I'm wrapping up. I know that messing with people's value system has the potential to really wreck your life in the best way. I know this could be uh, a sermon that causes some pain in your heart. That's okay. It's good for you. Come down. We will pray for you. Hey, let me say that again. We will pray for you. Like, this is not just something we do. We want to pray for you. Taylor, do I have time to finish that story real quick? So I start, I'm, I'm with the, the Muslims, and I start looking around. I'm like, I need a bucket. And they're like, what? I'm like, I need to do this. I'm like, bro, I think the Lord just told me to wash your feet. He goes, Whoop. totally awake. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way I'm going to let you do this. I was like, don't do this with people. This is kind of like unfair. I said, if you don't let me do this, you're making me disobey my Lord. And he's like, dang, man. Well, fine, you weirdo. So I'm like digging through their, their stuff, looking for a bucket. They still don't really believe me. Eventually, the wife is like, okay, hold on. Let me go across the hall, goes to the apartment. Uh, her sister-in-law lives here. She gets the, the bucket and comes back. And I say, tell me the truth. Did you just tell them this weird white guy is trying to wash my husband's feet? And she goes, that's exactly what I said. So then I get down and I'm starting to wash his feet. And it's like super awkward, super awkward. And I'm trying to tell him the story. And I'm like, so Peter says this to Jesus. Actually, all the things that you just said to me, Peter says to Jesus, and Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, if you don't let me make you clean, you get no part in my kingdom. And he goes, and then I tell him, and so Peter says, well, give me a bath then, wash my whole body. So I finish up and I said, Jesus ends it and says, as I've done for you, go and do likewise for others. And so this Pakistani dude, Muslim to the core, he goes, you mean like for my wife? And I was like, uh, yeah, if you want to. He's like, okay, sit down. And she's like, oh, heck no. <laughs> so then she does the same thing, quotes Peter, like, no, 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 I know my place is at your feet. There's no way I'm gonna let you do this. And then they start arguing in Urdu, and I don't speak Urdu. So it's like, and I was like, oh man, okay. So then he goes back to English and he goes, I would do anything for you. You're my wife. Submit to me and let me wash your feet. <laughs> it's just super weird, super weird to hear a Muslim say that to his wife. And then they both looked so downtrodden, like oppressed. But after he washed her feet, they went back and sat down on the couch. And she was beaming, like glowing. 
And she's Pakistani, and she goes, I like that. <laughs> he goes, we could do that again. All right, can I pray for you? All right. Oh, Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you do the work. Thank you that you're gonna give us reward, even though you still did that work. Thank you for saving us and bringing us into your kingdom. And for those of you in Christ, congratulations. For those of you not yet in Christ, I mean, it was on the song earlier. He is beckoning you right now. He's saying, come home. Let me make you whole. Let me run your life. You've made a bit of a mess of it trying to run it yourself. Come home to me. Make me your king and I'll set you free from all those things that bring death. Jesus, we want you. We want to take you. Come and destroy our idols and set us free. You're so good. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.